Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. President Biden gives an update on the Russia-Ukraine crisis, saying that the United States has not been able to verify the Kremlin's claim that some of its troops have been pulled back. The question is, where do diplomatic talks stand right now? Plus, the state of New York versus Donald Trump as the battle over the former president's finances heats up. The question is, will a judge force Trump to testify? And the Russian figure skater at the center of the latest Olympics doping scandal claims she took a banned drug by accident. The question is, does new information filed in that case undercut that defense? It's way too early for this. Good morning and welcome to Way Too Early, the show that never mastered the triple accent. I'm John Lemire on this Wednesday, February 16th. Let's start with the news. President Joe Biden is promising to give diplomacy every chance to prevent Russia from invading Ukraine again, but is skeptical, but is warning that he's skeptical about Moscow's intentions and an invasion remains, quote, distinctly possible. In a speech yesterday, Biden also said that it was too early to assess Moscow's claim that it was pulling troops from Ukraine's border and that the U.S. hasn't verified it. Yesterday, the Russian government publicly proposed to continue the diplomacy. I agree. We should give the diplomacy every chance to succeed. And I believe there are real ways to address our respective security concerns. The Russian defense minister reported today that some military units are leaving their positions near Ukraine. That would be good, but we have not yet verified that. We have not yet verified the Russian military units are returning to their home bases. Indeed, our analysts indicate that they remain very much in a threatening position. And the fact remains, right now, Russia has more than 150,000 troops encircling Ukraine and Belarus and along Ukraine's border. An invasion remains distinctly possible. Biden's remarks came hours after Russian President Vladimir Putin said he does not want a war with the West and is seeking a diplomatic path to resolving the tense standoff. Putin adopted a more conciliatory tone and announced that the Kremlin would partially pull back troops from Ukraine's border, but he did not commit to a complete withdrawal. This, as Ukrainian officials yesterday said, a series of cyber attacks hit the defense ministry's websites as well as two major banks. It was not immediately clear who was behind the attacks. Joining us live from Kyiv, Ukraine, NBC News correspondent Aaron McLaughlin, also with us, White House reporter for The Washington Post, Tyler Pager. He joins us from Washington. Thanks to you both for being here. Aaron, I will start with you. Ukrainian officials said their defense ministry website and major banks were hit by cyber attacks yesterday. What more do we know about these? 
Hey, John, well, why, while authorities here in Ukraine are continuing to investigate the source of those attacks, we've been speaking to hybrid warfare experts here in Ukraine, and they say that Russian-backed organizations are strongly suspected. For, for years now, uh, Ukraine has been at the center of this so-called hybrid warfare, which includes cyber attacks, disinformation, even fake protests. Last week, we were outside the U.S. embassy where hundreds of retired were holding anti-American signs telling the embassy to go back to Washington, D.C., but we were speaking to some of those protesters, and the protesters were saying they had no idea what the signs they were holding said. They said that they were actually for the United States, thankful for American help. It was a surreal scene. Take a listen. I'm for America, not against it. It helps Ukraine. I come here pro-America. <laughs> you're, you're for the United States, and yet you're holding the sign. How, does, how do you explain it? America is our key partner. But you're holding an anti-American sign. Did you check? I don't know what's written here. Now that you told me, I know. And that man said he had just been walking by, was told to hold the sign. Uh, and, and, you know, we watched at the end of the protest as he rolled up the sign and walked away with it. Uh, an NBC News investigation obtained screen grabs that showed that those protesters were actually offered $7 to be there. Uh, we also spoke to a Ukrainian intelligence source uh, who said that they traced the advertisement for that protest to GRU or Russian-backed websites. Now, we reached out to the Kremlin for comment on all of that, have yet to hear back, but hybrid warfare experts say that these kinds of tactics are designed to create division and confusion with, from within, and it's really seen here in Ukraine as sort of a baseline for this conflict going forward. Jonathan. And certainly that sort of disinformation, Russian trademarks. Aaron McLaughlin joined us live from Ukraine. Really appreciate it. Now let's turn here stateside. Tyler, both uh, the U.S. and Russia did signal yesterday that they still want to give diplomacy a chance during this tense standoff. Take us behind the curtain uh, at the White House. Where do they think things stand right now? We, there, I know there's been for some weeks now some debates internally about having the president directly address the crisis. We heard from him yesterday doing just that. Do they believe a diplomatic solution is still possible? Yeah, look, I think there are some signs of optimism that they are moving in the direction of possibly uh, finding a diplomatic solution. But as we heard in that clip from President Biden, they are far from confident that that is the path Vladimir Putin is going to choose. I think inside the White House, there is still a lot of anxiety about the Russian troop buildup and what Putin's ultimate intentions are here. But I think there is a sign of optimism. And that, and that is part of the reason why we saw President Biden yesterday. As you said, there's been a lot of internal debate inside the White House about how to deploy President Biden in a public facing manner to discuss this crisis. I think that's why we saw him come out, give a clear, direct speech, not take any questions and just sort of deliver the message and the intelligence and the analysis that the U.S. has been collecting over the past weeks. I think there remains fears and concerns about what ultimately Putin will do. And as we heard, they cannot uh, uh, verify that they have withdrawn all these troops from the border. But I think there are, are some signs of optimism after a weekend of intense diplomatic activity uh, with the president speaking to his Russian counterpart over the weekend from Camp David.
It also seems striking that it's a U.S. strategy, and we saw a little bit of this from the U.K. as well, that as soon as they sort of get any kind of intelligence, they learn something about what Putin may be doing, they immediately go public with it. They sort of put it out there to say, hey, we can see you. And that the thought being that may rattle the former ex-KGB officer, who, of course, his trademark uh, is intelligence. And one of the things we heard from the president yesterday is he upped the number of troops that they say the Russia's got nearby, 150,000. That's the biggest yet that we've heard. What will be, though, the next steps for a possible diplomatic solution? Are there more talks scheduled, either at the presidential level or you know down below, perhaps Blinken or Lavrov? or a European partner stepping in? What's the game plan now? Yeah, I, I think that's the question that we're trying to answer is after this talk and rhetoric of trying to search for a diplomatic solution, what's the actual concrete steps that these officials are going to take to try to find one? It seems every day there's a new readout we're getting from the State Department or from the White House of calls Secretary Blinken or President Biden have done with their counterparts in Europe. But I think one of the next big steps is the Munich Security Conference this week, where Vice President Kamala Harris and Secretary of State Tony Blinken are expected to attend. Um, that is an opportunity for the European allies to get together in person and, and discuss a path forward. But in terms of concrete steps, that's something we're looking for. What does it actually mean for the Russians and, and the U.S. and NATO and, and the allies to try to come together and find a solution? I think Russia is expected to respond to the proposals U.S. and NATO have put out um, in terms of trying to uh, come to an agreement on some military positioning. And also, obviously, the dispute at the center of this is whether or not Ukraine uh, has a path towards joining NATO. I think that is what we're looking for in, in the coming days, is what sort of diplomatic activity we see from the from the two sides here. Yeah, well, the Washington Post's Tyler Pager, we really appreciate you being with us today. A story will be staying on. Of course, you heard, also heard Tyler mention Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. Well, he'll be a guest on Morning Joe a little bit later on today to weigh in on the latest diplomatic efforts to prevent a Russian invasion of Ukraine. Still ahead on way too early, Prince Andrew settles a sexual assault lawsuit but does not admit he did anything wrong. What he says he regrets. Plus, more figure skating drama in Beijing. New details about the drug test that almost disqualified the Russian teenager, who is now on track for another gold medal. Those stories and a check on the weather when we come right back. At Consumer Cellular, you get the same exact coverage as the largest carriers, but for up to half the cost. Same thing, up to half the cost. Up to half the cost for the same thing. 50% the money for 100% the same thing. I hope I'm making myself clear. Consumer Cellular. When freedom calls, we're here to answer. Call us at 1-888-FREEDOM. Half the cost savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single-line 5-gigabyte data plan with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single-line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plan offered by T-Mobile and Verizon May 2023. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. 
New York Attorney General Letitia James is heading to court tomorrow seeking to enforce a subpoena for former President Trump's testimony as part of her office's civil investigation into his business practices. The news comes just a day after Trump's longtime accounting firm cut ties with him, saying a decade's worth of financial statements could no longer be trusted. The former president put out a statement late yesterday claiming the firm was essentially forced to resign because of, quote, vicious intimidation tactics used by James and by the Manhattan District Attorney who's pursuing a separate investigation. Nearly a decade after the tragic shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School, the families of five children and four adults killed in the attack have reached a $73 million settlement with the now bankrupt gun manufacturer Remington. The massacre left 20 first graders and six adults dead in Newtown, Connecticut. The families filed a wrongful death lawsuit in 2014 against Remington, the company that manufactured the Bushmaster AR-15 style rifle used in that terrible attack. The case has been watched closely by both gun control advocates and gun rights supporters because of its potential to provide a roadmap for victims of other shootings to sue firearm makers. Elsewhere, Prince Andrew has settled a lawsuit with the woman who accused him of sexually assaulting her, saying she was trafficked to him by the late Jeffrey Epstein. NBC News senior international correspondent Keir Simmons has more on this. Prince Andrew dramatically averting a court battle, not admitting liability, but not clearing his name, declaring his regret for his relationship with the late Jeffrey Epstein and commending the bravery of Virginia Jufri and other survivors of sex trafficking. Virginia Jufri claimed she was sexually assaulted by the prince when she was 17 years old, trafficked by Epstein. It was a really scary time in my life. I had just been abused by a member of a royal family. Prince Andrew now paying an undisclosed sum to a charity she chose, supporting victims' rights. There's no question mark over there will be no public fund. There'll be no taxpayers' money going towards this. For the prince, the end of a damaging case stretching back two decades. Virginia Jufri claims she was first assaulted by Prince Andrew in March 2001. In 2010, he's photographed with Jeffrey Epstein after Epstein is released from prison. In 2019, he records an interview with the BBC, widely viewed as a disaster. In it, he says he does not remember being photographed with Jufri in this picture. I have no recollection of ever meeting this lady. None whatsoever. Then in January this year, he loses a battle to have a New York court throw out the case, and he is stripped of his royal patronages. Still ahead, the latest in a figure skating scandal that's hanging over the Winter Games. And a mascot mystery. Someone stole a giant pickle costume from a baseball team. We'll tell you what the club is offering to get it back. We've got a lot coming up for you in sports. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024.
The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Welcome back. Time now for sports and the 1-2 American finish in the men's Olympic slope-style competition last night. Freestyle skier Alex Hall topped the podium after his opening run earned him the score that stood up throughout the competition. And his teammate Nick Gepper turned in a creative run on his second pass to earn silver. Americans have now won six of nine Olympic medals since the event made its debut back in 2014. A couple of other Olympic notes. The U.S. women's ice hockey team is set to play Canada for the gold medal, while the men's hockey team, sadly, was eliminated after a shootout against Slovakia in last night's quarterfinals. Meanwhile, Russian figure skating star Kamila Valieva is on track for an individual gold medal after her winning performance in the women's Olympic short program yesterday. The 15-year-old has been allowed to compete despite testing positive for a banned heart drug prior to the Games. But there is now new reporting about the sample she provided. In Valieva's arbitration hearing on Sunday, there was testimony on her behalf that suggested the positive result may have stemmed from a case of contamination with medication that her grandfather had been taking. And the New York Times reports a document filed in her hearing reveals that, in addition to the banned drug, there were two other legal substances that can treat the heart found in the sample from Christmas Day. According to the chief executive of the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency, the benefits of the combination of the three substances, quote, seem to be aimed at increasing endurance, reducing fatigue, and promoting greater efficiency in using oxygen. This is a storyline that has hung over these games, clearly not going away just yet. Elsewhere, Novak Djokovic says he would rather skip the French Open and Wimbledon rather than get vaccinated against COVID-19. After being deported from Australia last month over his vaccination status and therefore missing the first major of the year, the 20-time Grand Slam champion said in an interview aired yesterday by the BBC that he is still not vaccinated and is prepared to sacrifice chances at more titles in order to stay that way. I understand that not being vaccinated today I, you know, I'm unable to travel to most of the tournaments at the moment. And, and that's the price you're willing to pay? I, that, that is the price that I'm willing to pay. Ultimately, are you prepared to forego the chance to be the greatest player that ever picked up a racket, statistically, because you feel so strongly about this jab? Yes. Why, Novak? Why? Why? Do you- because the principles of... Uh, decision-making on my body uh, are more important than any title. Why Novak indeed? And because Djokovic sat out the Australian Open, his rival, Rafael Nadal, won the major, giving him 21 Grand Slams, one now ahead of Djokovic. Turning now to the NHL, let's go to Pittsburgh, where Penguins star Sidney Crosby's tie-breaking goal against the Flyers in the first period was good for the 500th of his career. 
The 34-year-old superstar joins Mario Lemieux as the only players in Penguins franchise history to reach that mark. Pittsburgh goes on to beat Philadelphia 5-4 in overtime. Crosby's as good as it gets. Meanwhile, in Philadelphia and in the NBA, the newly acquired James Harden isn't expected to check in for the 76ers until after the All-Star break. And frankly, it doesn't appear that his new team is interested in putting up much effort until then. The Sixers lost by a whopping 48 points to your Boston Celtics last night as the Seas drained a franchise record 25 three-pointers in a 135-87 win. Don't look now, Celtics are surging. Elsewhere, the Super Bowl drew more than 100 million TV viewers on Sunday. That's up 6% from last year. The ratings improvement comes after a 20% increase in viewership for the NFL's divisional round and a 10% bump from last year for the conference championships. Not surprised, it was up over last, game, last year's game, which was a blowout, Buccaneers over Chiefs. This game, though not a classic, was close until the end. Baseball's lockout, meanwhile, extends to a 77th day today, and neither side of the negotiating table has made any public statement this week to acknowledge spring training is not starting on time for the first time since 1995. Players aren't reporting to camp as scheduled, but the league reportedly doesn't plan to announce a disruption to spring training until the February 26th exhibition openers can't be played. It comes as labor talks show little signs of progress with opening day fast approaching on March 31st. They don't even have another negotiating session scheduled. Dispiriting. Also still missing this morning, the mascot for the Portland Pickles, Dylan. Dylan, I get it. The seven-foot mascot costume was initially lost while traveling back from the Dominican Republic with the team's general manager late last month. It was carried in a checked, unmarked duffel bag, which a Delta spokesman later confirmed never made it on the flight. The missing costume was eventually delivered on the team's office porch. But the next morning, the college team says this person, you're seeing him there in surveillance footage, stole it. The Pickles say they want the mascot back before the season starts and won't press charges. No questions asked. Just bring us back Dylan. As a reward for its safe return, the team is offering free pickles at games for life. So the pickle costume is found after getting lost in the flight, only to then be stolen. Time now for the weather, and let's go to meteorologist Bill Karens, who frankly bears a resemblance to the man in that, in that surveillance footage. Bill, do you have an alibi for this pickle theft? <laughs> I don't, but I'm impressed. This is two days in a row. First, you had Mono Bob, uh, and mm. now we're at the Portland Pickles. So you've set the bar pretty high this week, Jonathan. Look, we do our best here with sports. We have a wide variety of stories. <laughs> so let me get to this uh, multi-hazard weather event we're going to deal with in the middle of the country. Uh, this one's not going to be fun. If you're in Kansas City, St. Louis, Chicago, this storm is going to have multiple problems with it. Uh, we could deal with tornadoes, ice jams, flooding, uh, high wind damage, fires. I mean, this whole thing could be kind of nuts over the next couple of days. So we have 57 million people under window alerts. We have 27 people in flood watches and about 27 million people under some type of winter weather alerts, mostly from the Midwest. We add another 9 million that could deal with severe weather later on tonight into tomorrow. This will be late this evening during the overnight hours. Dallas, Oklahoma City, Tulsa all included in this. And this mostly will be large hail damaging wind. 
isolated tornadoes. And then that threat spreads tomorrow, all from Little Rock to Memphis to Louisville, Nashville included in this, much of Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana. Again, isolated tornadoes, damaging winds will be possible with these thunderstorms. So that's only one problem with this storm. The other one will be the heavy rain, the warm temperatures. Then we get the snow melt and the ice jams on the rivers. So this is going to be... Uh, you know, potentially destructive from one to two inches of rain from St. Louis through Indianapolis, up through Ohio, even western New York near Buffalo, up towards Syracuse and Rochester. Heavy rain, snow melt is not a good combination for the rivers there. And then on top of all of this, the backside of the storm will be cold enough that we're going to, have to deal with significant ice and snow. So you're going to go from a rainstorm to cold temperatures with ice in St. Louis, central Illinois, near Indianapolis, northern Ohio, western New York. And the snow side of this storm, you're going to have to shovel and plow. Very difficult morning tomorrow. Kansas City could end up with six inches north of St. Louis near Quincy could also. Chicago, this looks like a chance for your biggest snowstorm of the winter season. Potential six to eight inches for you. Detroit a little less than that, around four to six inches. So, Jonathan, this is a kitchen sink storm. We're going to throw it all from the south to the Midwest, the Great Lakes, over the next two days. Well, Bill Karens, we appreciate the forecast and you keeping an eye on that storm in the days ahead. Still ahead, with bipartisan talks stalled, Senate Republicans are moving ahead with their own Russia sanctions package. What Democrats are saying about that tactic. But before we go to break, we want to know, why are you awake? Email your reasons to waytooearly at msnbc.com or tweet me at John Lemire. Be sure to use the hashtag waytooearly, and we're going to read a few of our favorite answers later in the show. Welcome back to Way Too Early. It's 531 on the East Coast, 231 out West. I'm Jonathan Lemire. As bipartisan negotiations on a Russian sanctions package remain at an impasse, Republican senators are now unveiling their own bill. The proposed legislation is spearheaded by Senator James Risch of Idaho, the top Republican on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and it's backed by 30 other GOP senators. The bill would slap sanctions on the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline, Russian banks, and Russian officials. It would also provide new financial assistance to Ukraine and speed up arms sales to the Eastern European country. The January 6th Select Committee issued six new subpoenas yesterday to people it says were involved in organizing slates of alternate electors to challenge President Joe Biden's 2020 election victory. One went to Arizona Republican Party Chair Kelly Ward who tried to overturn Biden's victory in her state and has already sued to block the committee from getting her phone records and was part of a bogus slate of electors from Arizona. Pennsylvania State Senator Doug Mastriano, who was prominent in spreading the false claim of election fraud, was also subpoenaed, along with Mark Fincham, who is running for Secretary of State in Arizona and has been endorsed by former President Trump, a subpoena to him as well. None of the three immediately responded to a request for comment. Joining us now, co-founder of Punchbowl News, Anna Palmer. She is an MSNBC contributor. Anna, great to see you as always. Let's start with the sanctions uh, on Russia uh, that a few weeks ago seemed like was going to be a rare moment of bipartisanship in Congress. Democrats and Republicans both on board. How has this fallen apart? What's the nature of the impasse? And will there be any Democratic support, you think, for the Risch bill? 
Yeah, it's so interesting here, the twists and turns on sanctions. It seemed like uh, Senator Risch and Senator Menendez, the chair of the Foreign Relations Committee, were working together. And the big disagreement has always been about whether or not to implement sanctions before a Russia invasion. Republicans wanted that. Democrats didn't, particularly the White House. And that's really where this fell apart. We yesterday had kind of a strong statement from Senate leadership. I'm not quite sure that sends, uh, you know, a unified front uh, to Russia to say the U.S. is strongly going to be together on this. And then you saw Republicans go their own way here with Senator Risch, who's now saying, hey, if Russia does actually invade Ukraine, you're going to see a lot of other members jump on my bill. So it kind of feels like the leadership is trying to give some cover to say, hey, we are doing something. But at the same time, Republicans, you know, aren't going to just wait for that. They want to have sanctions sooner rather than later here. As several political observers noted, a, quote, strongly worded statement that's sure to get Vladimir Putin quaking. Uh, Anna, let's talk about the latest round of subpoenas uh, from the January 6th committee. They're clearly keeping the spotlight on this alternate elector plot. Uh, and it's also interesting to me that they've certainly moved beyond the bold-faced names. These are targets in the states. These aren't D.C. Uh, characters. What stands out to you about these latest targets? And do we have any sense as to what the committee's up to next? Absolutely. I agree with you. I think two things stand out to me. One being this kind of wider web that you start to see the January 6th committee move on from. It's not just Donald Trump, but really trying to figure out how the tentacles you know, operated beyond Washington into the states. We started to see that in terms of certainly the people that actually, you know, infiltrated the Capitol. But these are now going into elected officials in states and party committees. And so I think you're going to try to see this larger, broader narrative ultimately come out from the January 6th committee about the influence that uh, the former president had over these states, over these party committees. Certainly going to be something to watch there. I do think, you know, they are still trying to get those bold-faced names, Rudy Giuliani, others. I think the big question here is going to be, do any of those folks actually participate on their own volition, or are they forced to subpoena, or does this come to another standstill where you have kind of the lawyer's arguments going back and forth? Uh, so definitely a kind of two-pronged attack by the committee and something to watch just as they kind of build out the larger narrative here. Yeah, the latest example of just the significant breadth of this investigation, uh, the committee leaving no stone unturned. One of the true stalwarts of way too early and a Palmer of Punchbowl News. We appreciate it as always. Thank you so much. Still ahead, we're live with CNBC for an early look at the markets following a big rebound on Wall Street. Way too early. We'll be right back. Time now for business. And for that, let's bring in CNBC's Rosanna Lockwood, who joins us live from London. Good morning, Rosanna. U.S. stocks indexes rose yesterday, but oil and bond prices fell as tensions between Russia and Ukraine continue to rattle global markets. And there's no end in sight there. Uh, this as the Federal Reserve is set to release minutes from its last meeting later today. What do you think investors are going to be looking out for? Uh, well, John, here in the markets, we absolutely love Fed Minutes release day. It's where we get a chance to see how Jay Powell and the other board members are thinking in terms of rate hikes and also the balance sheet as well and what ultimately this means for the U.S. economy. So when we get those details later today, we'll be looking for clues as to how much and how aggressively and how quickly the Fed might hike interest rates and how quickly it's going to taper off its balance sheet as well and whether that's going to happen in the first half of this year. Now, whilst we await that day to the markets, states 
side might be in a little bit of a holding pattern, but reacting mostly, as you said there, to the news flow out of the Ukraine crisis, which there has been plenty of this morning, it must be said. And it does seem like here in Europe, in the early market action, uh, basically everyone's been waiting and verifying, trying to work out what each side is saying. Russia, Ukraine, how many troops there might be, whether troops are withdrawing. And this is having a very sort of seesaw effect in the markets. Uh, elsewhere, economic data as well. Here in the UK, we've had inflation data for January touching a near 30-year high, and that said the FTSE below the flat line. Rosanna, a few things can match the excitement of Fed Minutes Day, but how about space travel? Virgin, Virgin Galactic announced yesterday that it will open spaceflight ticket sales to the public for the very first time. Tell us more. How can we go? Uh, well, have you got a cool uh, half a million dollars to spare? Because that's how much you're going to need. <laughs> this is the uh, Virgin Galactic Space Tourism Program. The deposit for one of these tickets, John, is $150,000 against the total $450,000 starting price for one of these tickets. And just a note on that, only $25,000 of uh, that uh, deposit is refundable, ultimately, if you change your mind uh, before the flight. That being said, though, Virgin Galactic has sold hundreds of these tickets in the last few years on advanced sales. And now this latest news that sales will go to the public from today. That sent shares in Virgin Galactic soaring 32% in trade uh, on Tuesday. However, it must be said that you won't be taking your flight with Richard Branson because he's been selling around $1.25 billion dollars worth of stock in Virgin Galactic over the last couple of years. And he also broke his own uh, dream last year of actually uh, crossing the U.S. space boundary. So unlikely he'll be your co-pilot. Well, at that price, pretty confident to saying I will be staying right here on Earth. CNBC's Rosanna Lockwood joined us live from London. Thank you so much. Still ahead, sacrificing your beliefs just to fit in with the crowd. It's an idea that could explain some of the strange behavior we've been seeing in politics. We'll dive into that with author Todd Rose next on Way Too Early. Democratic president, Democratic House. Democratic Senate, look at the results. Look at the results. Republicans should step up and say what their plan is to fight inflation, not just point fingers. That solves no problem. Welcome back to Way Too Early. Yesterday, sniping on Capitol Hill, you just heard some of it there. It's nothing new. But it's a pretty clear, a different, amplified type of polarization has gripped the country, where often the loudest people on the fringe, from Twitter to Congress, get the most attention. So why are so many people falling into it, allowing these outliers to act like they're speaking for the majority? Our next guest says there's a science behind it, shaped by what he calls the least understood force in society, the desire to fit in. Joining us now, that author, Todd Rose. His new book is Collective Illusions, Conformity, Complicity, and the Science of Why We Make Bad Decisions. Good morning, Todd. We're glad you're here. You argue in the book that most people will sacrifice personal belief to make sure they conform with the crowd. Tell us a little bit more about that. Absolutely. So as, as human beings, we are wired to conform, right? All else equal, we want to be with our groups, not against it. And that conformity is not new, but the problem that I address in the book is this idea of a collective illusion, which is what happens when you are wrong about the group to begin with? And so your need to belong and your willingness to conform ends up distorting the entire group and can bring great harm both personally and collectively. Now, would that be some, some of that is peer pressure, right? Outside forces, but other you're arguing could be from within? 
Yeah. So look, we often get hung up on some of the outside pressure and that does exist. But what we see in terms of our need to conform and, and our being wrong about the group is it's just as much about us internally and the way our brains are wired. And so this we're all susceptible to it. And what we're seeing all across the country right now is that you name the issue that's important to society. And it's a coin toss whether you are right about the group to begin with. So let's look at this through a political lens. And to that point, you say that most Republicans don't actually believe that the 2020 election was stolen, but will agree with the loudest voices. Yeah. So we're getting distorted by or mistaking noise for numbers. Right. And this is what our brain does. The loudest voices repeated the most are interpreted as the majority. Right. And so our social media technologies have helped amplify that fringe. So in our politics, whether it's on the right with the, with the election, where most Republicans believe most Republicans think the election was rigged. So if I want to signal my belonging to the party, then I go along with that view or I say nothing at all. And the same thing's happening on the left, whether it's the commitment to defund the police or other kinds of policies, which we've already seen once it's put to a private vote, did not have the support that people thought it had. So certainly on the right, the loudest voice for a long time, perhaps still, Donald Trump. But we're also talking about more fringe characters, members of the House like Marjorie Taylor Greene. And you talk about in the book about how easy it is for social manias to be created. So is that what we saw with January 6th? Did the, does the insurrection fall into the category of a, of a mania? Well, what I think about the January 6th is it's the consequence of being wrong about your group to begin with. And a lot of our elected officials who know better, who just said nothing for political expediency. But if you think about it, if, if the election really was rigged, then minus the violence, you know, people should be upset. Right. And so to me, I see that as the ultimate consequence. And unless we get a handle on these illusions and start telling the truth about what we privately believe, we're going to see more of those kind of things. Todd Rose, your book. It's a fascinating read. And we are grateful that you were here with us today. Thank you so much. Earlier in the show, we asked all of you this question. Why are you awake? Aaron's up way too early for a happy accident. She writes, somehow my coffee pot time got changed and the auto grind feature woke us up. Yay for coffee and yay for way too early. We swear we're not part of the conspiracy there to get you up in time to tune in. Dan, what have you got? Oh, Mary writes, drinking coffee, paying bills and watching you. So I guess two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> two out of three ain't bad. And coffee, obviously a theme for a show that starts at 5 a.m. Uh, here's Steve. He writes this. And frankly, he may have said too much. He tweeted this. I had trouble sleeping because my new pickle costume is a little too tight. Steve, we appreciate the joke and we are sending authorities your direction. Up next, a look at the Axios One Big Thing. And coming up on Morning Joe, more on efforts to prevent Russia from invading Ukraine. Member of the Armed Services Committee, Senator Richard Blumenthal will join the conversation. And as I mentioned earlier, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken is a guest this morning. You will not want to miss that. Morning Joe is just a few minutes away. you can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. 